0: Don't talk too much.
1: Just talk a little
0: bit. You don't eat much. You don't talk much. <laughs> I'm just listening.
1: This is the Just Listening podcast with pizza artist Eric John. Hello everybody and welcome to the show today. This is Just Listening, I am Eric John. And before we get into it, let me tell you about Yacht Club Soda. If you live in Rhode Island, you know what Yacht Club Soda is. It's Rhode Island's official soda. It is just incredible, incredible soda. Go to yachtclubsoda.com right now. Whether you live in Rhode Island or you don't, you can live anywhere in the country, anywhere in America, and you can go order this amazing soda yourself today. Go to YachtClubSoda.com. Check out all the amazing flavors they have. They've got root beer, cream, lemon lime, orange cream. They've got grapefruit, strawberry, roadie red. I'm not even reading these off a list. I'm just remembering them all because there's so many amazing flavors, and I've been drinking this stuff my entire life. So don't be a fool. Go to YachtClubSoda.com today and order some for yourself okay on the show today very excited to have this guy on uh, if you're a fan of the Joe Rogan experience then you uh, recently probably heard uh, this guy's name mentioned and uh, got to see a couple clips of him fighting he is the karate combat middleweight champion of the world Ross Levine welcome to the show
0: what's going on Eric how are you
1: I'm doing great thanks so much for doing this I'm really excited to have you on um, and uh, as I said in the in the intro, uh man that was that's really cool how um you were like mentioned on the joe rogan show and like they showed clips of your fights and stuff what what was that like like to have that happen
0: yeah well first of all thank you so much for making time for me and and having me i know as a uh uh, I'm not a native Rhode Islander, but as an implant, it's cool to have, you know, local celebrities like yourself with, with doing all the <laughs> oh, things geez. that you do, you know, <laughs> want me want me as part of the podcast. So uh, I really appreciate your time. So thanks for making this happen. Of course.
1: Um, of course. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And it was, uh, it was super humbling. You know, I'm uh, I'm good friends with Boss Rutten now that I've been involved with Karate Combat. He was someone that I you know kind of looked up to and and many people idolized him you know coming up in in the martial arts community he was the first UFC heavyweight champion and you know now that he's involved with karate combat he's just such an icon in the sport so to to have a chance to be around him amongst other amazing martial artists is really cool in itself uh we've developed a, a really cool bond and friendship and uh you know, he, he gives me some advice here and there. Like, I'm setting up time to go train with him. And, you know, I knew he was going to be on the show, but I had no idea he was going to be bringing me up in the way that he did. And, you know, to have those guys pull up my fight and, and comment on it on a platform like that is just unbelievable.
1: What, what kind of effect... I mean, it seems sort of obvious, but it not maybe not necessarily. Um, what kind of effect do you think that Joe Rogan has had on competitive fighting in general?
0: Oh, my God. I mean, you know, just him as a person, you know, I mean, I would hope that most people know who Joe Rogan is at this stage in the game. Um, you'd either have to be really old or really young to not know who he is or not care who he is. But, um, I mean, you know, to, to have someone like him start off as, you know, a stand-up comedian and then get into, you know, television and media and fear factor and just kind of stumble upon the UFC and as a fan really, and then become, you know, their, their top, you know, commentator and broadcast analyst. I mean, it's so cool. And, you know, then as his, the JRE expanded, he started doing the fight companions. He started bringing fighters on it. It just gives like martial arts, such a huge platform. He's always preaching the benefits of it. Uh, so it comes from a great place, you know? So, I mean, he is, uh, I wouldn't even say arguably, I'm very confident. I don't know these numbers for a fact. You can fact check me, but I would would bet my savings account that he is the most watched and listened to podcast on the planet right now. So, you know, I think for someone like him to be so adamant about martial arts and its benefits is huge for the community.
1: Oh, yeah. There's no doubt he's number one. And, you know, I always I try to liken it to it's sort of like. You know the effect that Joe's had on competitive fighting, just in, just putting it into the, the sort of general consciousness. Uh, it's very similar to what Dave Portnoy's done for pizza. I mean, it's sort of like you know they just he's synonymous with fighting, and he has fighters on his show all the time. Um, when you no know, Joe has talked about his sort of origin of getting into competitive fighting. When did you first get into martial arts? So I started
0: martial arts when I was seven years old, uh, just doing you know taekwondo in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I never really started competing until I was about 13. Uh, So, you know, just training, enjoying it, learning all the different things I could learn. And then, yeah, about 13 years old, end of my 12th year into uh, into my teenage years is when I started getting
1: exposed to competition. Did you love it pretty much immediately? Martial arts or competition? Martial arts in general. Yeah.
0: Uh, yes and no. You know, initially I didn't want to do martial arts. Uh, I've said this in a million podcasts and, um, I'll say it again. Like I I really had no intention of doing martial arts. You know, my dad was a martial artist, but never pushed us. You know, my brother got into it before I did. He was getting bullied a little bit in school and out of school. So, you know, he went into it and and even then like watching him do it, I had no intention of sitting still and standing at attention and listening to someone else tell me what to do. I just wasn't, I wasn't about it. So uh, it wasn't until he went to like a, an interschool competition and won a trophy. I was like, Ooh, trophy, shiny object. (laughs) I was like, all right. So then I got involved and, um, probably, you know, it's a joke, a longstanding joke that I got into martial arts for all the wrong reasons. Um, you know, and then learned all the great values and, and absorbed that into my life as I went along.
1: Well, you know I'm, I'm, it occurs to me that there might be people listening who you know have young kids and um you know I've got two young daughters. they're not quite at the age where I, I think they would start taking you know uh, martial arts lessons or anything like that. but um you know what what are the kind of things like even if if um you didn't end up getting into competition and you didn't end up becoming a world champion, what are what are sort of some of the things that you know anyone can kind of gain from studying? um, that sort of a discipline?
0: Well, I think first and foremost, it comes down to, you have to be in the right environment because just like there are, you know, how many pizza shops in Rhode Island and not all of them are great. <laughs> there are, <laughs> there are a lot of martial arts schools and let's be frank, not all of them are great. You know, that's just, you have to find the right quality, the right instructors and you know, they what they present has to be valuable you know, just like anything else. Cause if you go to a pizza shop and you don't like their pizza, you don't go back and uh, you should, you should value your martial arts and you know, what you do with your children in the same fashion. You shouldn't just go to go, you know, you go and they should be providing a service. So that's just like my normal disclaimer. But um, you know, if I didn't get into competition, the things that, that I preach and that I teach and that I rest my head well at night, knowing that I accomplish when I'm teaching is number one, no one gets into martial arts to learn how to do forms, right? People go into martial arts to learn self-defense. In the process of learning self-defense, you develop these great qualities and, you know, the the substance behind it is, you know, the discipline, the attention, the focus, the perseverance, you know, all of those things come secondary um, and they get lumped in but, you know, first and foremost, it's quality that I know that I, we talk about this now, it's capability of violence, right? You want to be capable of violence, but not actually violent. So I think that's the the most important thing of just knowing that my students, if something were to happen for them, they are number one in shape where they can run. Or if they had to back against the wall, you got to defend yourself. I'm confident that my students can do that. and And you can only do that by teaching good quality martial arts. So you know, I think that's the one thing that people will really get out of a good martial arts school is just that confidence that is built through solid technique, fundamentals. And then you also develop all these other amazing life skills that carry you through the rest of everything you do.
1: Are there any sort of obvious red flags for, you know, for, for a parent who might be considering, you know, sending their kid into training um, martial arts and, um, you know, especially because a lot of people don't know anything about it. Um you know, it's not like they have a history with it or they didn't even know anybody who knows anything about it. They just find a school and they go to it. Um, so, you know, what are some of the things that people might want to look out for as like, Oh, you know, this is not, maybe this isn't the right school for, for us.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing that I do and I do this everywhere I go and it's not just with martial arts, it's everywhere. You know, if I, I'm, a, I'm also a physical therapist, you know, I, I have my doctorate in physical therapy. If I am a client and I'm seeking health and wellness advice. If that person is not in shape, I'm not taking advice from them. You know, it's like, would you, would you go to a cardiologist who was obese?
1: You know what, what I mean? It's a really like, good question. I mean, it's a really good point. I mean, you know, you think about it, it's it's like, you know, it's um yeah, it's, it's someone talking about how to be healthy and they're not healthy. And they're not uh, healthy. Right. It speaks it's, it does speak volumes.
0: So so I look at that, you know, I think that's the first red flag when you walk into a martial arts school because those old traditions, you know, it's the the joke in the martial arts industry is that degrees equal calories. Right and like the higher degree black belt, the higher degree black belt is. They are the the more calories they take in per day. So it's like as they get more and more quote unquote experience, they get more and more you know heavy at at the belt. You know, so um, number one is like you want to know that the people that are you know overseeing your child's development are people that can do they're doers, not sayers. You know, or they're both really you know, they can do exactly what it is that you're looking for. And they look like they can, number one, they're healthy, they're disciplined, they're, you know, they're preaching, you know, and, and doing all those values that they preach. Um, so that's one thing, obviously, the most important is you want to make sure the quality you're getting is, is up to up to par. Um, and then, you know, if you can't take care of your gym, how can your how can those people take care of your children? You know, if you walk into a gym, and it's dirty, if you know, the, the ceiling tiles are you know, gross and, you know, the bathrooms are nasty. Like you you just gotta like, if, if that person doesn't have the discipline to take care of their own gym, then how can they have the discipline to help your child become super successful? You know? So I think all of those things are big red flags for me. Um, but yeah, man, I think that's, that's where I start.
1: You know, it's, it's almost like, you know, it seems obvious when you say it, but you know, it, It's almost like you can kind of use your intuition with a lot of these types of things like you can kind of get a sense. And um, now you mentioned something kind of in kind of in passing a little bit. And uh, I have to imagine becoming a world middleweight champion for an organization like karate combat uh, combat. It takes a lot of time. And a lot of energy and a lot of focus. When and how did you manage to get a doctorate in uh, <laughs> in the medical in any sort of medical field while you were training and competing? How explain that part of the story to everyone? Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I was actually the kid who had no idea what he wanted to do. Um, I really didn't love school, uh, you know. And it's it's not that I didn't love it. I just wasn't. I didn't feel motivated. I didn't feel captivated by like the gen ed classes. So you know until it was you know 2010 i tore my hamstring competing and i needed to go to physical therapy my mom actually worked for a physical therapist company she did like accounts receivable um but the pt that i was going to see was awesome i mean he was just such a cool guy and even though it was a long recovery for me i was doing pt for probably like 8 9 months um closer to a year until i actually felt competitive again but um it was a long road and at every stage of that road, my PT was encouraging, made me feel like I was improving. You know, I was showing improvements, but it was also just that, that personal connection that he had. Um, he's still a PT, Chris Delahanty in New York city, uh, physio fitness down in Soho that like, they're amazing. Um, and he was the guy who was like, have you thought about physical therapy? You know, what about being on this side? And, you know, as I looked around the room, there were other, you know, division one collegiate athletes, there were professional athletes, there were gymnasts, like I was like, wow, maybe maybe if I'm not going to be a pro athlete, I can be the person who helps the pro athlete get back on track because I've always been fascinated with the body and you know how the body works and you know the amazing feats that pro athletes can can do. Um, so I started getting focused in my undergraduate career with like health sciences. Uh, And then all of a sudden I became an A student. (laughs) It was like, you know, I was captivated. I was excited. I was, I wanted to learn. Um, And then I was like, you know what, let's do it. Let's go into the physical therapy world. You know, I think a lot of people expected me to just open up a martial arts school because I was talented and, you know, I was a good teacher and people liked what I did. And to me, it was almost like the easy route. I wanted to challenge myself a little bit more and always have a fallback plan. You know, my parents were big on that, like, hey, get your education and you know, no one can ever take that away from you. Right. So, uh, yeah, that was the the route that we took, but at the time I was still competing and traveling and teaching. So I went to grad school in uh, Franklin Pierce, New Hampshire, um, Manchester, New Hampshire, Franklin Pierce university, and got my doctorate in physical therapy.
1: Have you been, have you been practicing at all? Like uh, practicing physical therapy? Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. I've been, I've been, uh, uh, you know, upholding my doctorate now for going on nine years.
1: Wow. So that's okay. That's incredible. So, okay. So let me just get this straight. So you are teaching, uh, martial arts, right? You do, you teach fitness and martial arts. You're also a licensed and practicing physical therapist and you're also a world middleweight champion, um, in, in karate combat. Uh, t- are you able to manage all of these different things and do them all at a very high level because of the discipline that has been that you've learned and that you've you've um, cultivated over all these years in, in martial arts?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are just the, a few of the hats that I wear, you know, not including husband, son, brother, uh, you know, business owner. I own my own business now. I, I started my own company in, uh, you know, last summer. So yeah, I, I think just understanding time blocking and time management and priority, you know, and, and discipline, you know, if you can't do anything without discipline. And one of the things I always preach and, you know, with with my company, I own a company called Turbo Sports Performance. I work with, you know, I, I work with pretty much anybody, but mostly martial artists, martial art community, um, with you know health and wellness, getting stronger, recovering from injury, things like that. And um, you know, one of the things I preach is like, listen, you're not always going to be motivated. Motivation is great, and it's it's really important to build momentum, and momentum is what carries you through and gets you better and better. But you can't always be motivated. So instead of being motivated, focus on being consistent right and i think that's the biggest thing that has translated into the ability for me to do all these things at a high level is just consistency you know it's not every day i wake up and i'm like i can't wait i'm chomping at the bit you know i surround myself with the things that i love but consistency is what's so important for me um, and, and that's what allows me to build momentum and just be successful with what i do so it's not easy but you know when i have a good support crew around me you know my my wife is amazing my family is super supportive and i have great people around me so what's not to
1: love well i mean I, i've had the the pleasure of meeting uh, your wife maddie who um, is a media personality and has, has you know did has done some stuff with me with my art and everything talk a little bit about how important. You talked about that support around you. Um, Talk a little bit about that, about how the importance of having those people in your life and and maybe especially your significant other um, to have them supporting you and and building you up and being there um, in those moments where maybe you're not so motivated or maybe you're just you're, you're starting to struggle a little bit. Just talk a little bit about how important she's been for you in that.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, listen, I I can go on and on. We can do a whole nother hour talking about (laughs) how much I I love my wife and how amazing she is. Episode, we could do that if you want. Um, (laughs) She won't be; (laughs) she'd be embarrassed at that. But you know, I think I think it goes without saying for anyone, you know, to do what you do, no matter what the public eye thinks of it, or no matter what people look at you and say you know, you have to be passionate about something and then you have to have a support system that's going to be passionate too. You know, how many people have looked at you and said, oh, who the hell wants to do pizza art? And I'm sure there are some people who question what Uh, you do. (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And and now, oh, yeah. look, and I'm, and I'm sure you're in the position you're in because you have a great support system behind you of like, Hey, listen, forget yep. those people, like do what you do. And now look where you're at, you know? Oh so, yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, yeah. And the consistency thing too, you mentioned, I mean, sometimes you you start doubting yourself and you just say, no, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to keep doing it. And just to do, and then it, like you said, that, that, that momentum keeps rolling forward. I mean, I
0: would, and I would say even more so in a field like combat sports, because there is so much sacrifice that people don't realize behind the scenes. You know, I would say, yes, without a doubt, you know, going through a a fight camp and preparation for my events is physically, mentally, emotionally taxing on myself. I would say it's equal or or greater for for Maddie. Um, because, you know, she doesn't maybe take the physical you know, suffering that I do. But, you know, there's times when I'm exhausted at the end of the day, and I really don't want to talk about anything. And, you know, I need to, you know, I need to, I need her sympathy, and I hate, I need empathy from her. Um, or, you know, we don't get to go on date nights, because I'm dieting, or, you know, there's just so much sacrifice that goes into it, where, right, it's very, it's very hard for me to be myself. And if she's not on board with that, I mean, it's impossible for me to be where I'm at. So, you know, my success is just as much. Hers as it is mine. So yeah, without having that team behind me, forget it. I'm nothing. I always say I'm I'm just I'm just a vessel. You know, my team is the one that pushes me forward. I'm just the vessel that gets the work done.
1: That's really that's really great, man. That's really cool. Um, and talk a little bit about uh your road to karate combat. Um, and also the other thing I'm kind of curious about too. Um, maybe before you get to that, maybe, um. Talk a little bit about karate in general, because I'd say there was a time, I think, and I'm old enough to, to have been around for this, where karate was by far the most popular and well-known form of martial arts. Um, you, you know, you might argue that jiu-jitsu has become more popular. It's sort of become a little bit of a fad recently, um, but is there something about karate in particular that you just really love more so than other types of martial arts? And then you know, just talk a little bit about how you got into karate being involved with karate combat
0: sure well i mean the the short answer with that is you know when i was a kid it was the era of ninja turtles it was power rangers it was you know x-men superheroes and, and it was all you know fighting and people were just fighting the wwf was huge now it's the wwe that was really big um but even on like espn uh, and I want to say Showtime back then or whatever Showtime was at the time, right. uh, you know, they were, they were showing like K one, they were showing boxing, you know, on the weekend. So I would always sit there and watch it with my dad. I just captivated me. You know, I was, I was fascinated by it. It was fun to watch and I just enjoyed it. So then you have the Karate Kid movies and like the three ninjas and all, and all that stuff. No, it was yeah, just Three like,
1: ninjas. I remember that. Yeah. Remember yeah. That yeah. Movie. You know,
0: and Bruce Lee and all that stuff. But, so it was just one of those things that, in that moment in time, it was just starting to boom. It was hitting everything, um, you know, the way it needed to be. So uh, it was just something that you know, my dad was involved in martial arts, and you know, like I said, my brother was getting bullied, so it was the perfect fit for him. And I think from there, I just got involved. And once you're in there, it, it just sucks you in, and and it, it brought me along. Um, now, fast forwarding to you know my career, I did sport karate for. Gosh, 20 plus years, 20, almost 20 years of like high level sport karate competition. Uh, I started doing amateur kickboxing when I moved up to grad school. Found it to be really good, really challenging. Uh, my team thought I was awesome. So they were like, hey, you should fight. So I started taking some amateur fights. And, you know, I'm one of those types of people who I, I can't see myself doing anything 50%. It's like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be the best at it and I'm going to go all in, you know, until the wheels fall off. So, you know, as an amateur, I was doing all these things that some professionals don't do. I had a nutritionist, I had a strength and conditioning coach. You know, I was doing all the right things and getting nothing in return except for just the results of my amateur fights. Um, so once I had competed against a lot of the best guys in the region, you know, my coach was just telling me like, "Hey, you know, why don't you just turn pro? Like instead of just chasing all these amateur fights, why don't you get paid for this?" And I was like, "Listen, if you guys think I'm good enough, you guys think I'm ready. I trust you. I don't know where I'm at, so let's go for it." You know, and uh, I turned professional. I did a couple of pro kickboxing fights. I fought for Glory Kickboxing, which is arguably the the top leading you know kickboxing organization for professional fighters in the world. Um, I was able to fight for them. I had a couple of great moments with them. You know, highlight knockout of the year. Uh, and then COVID hit. So when COVID hit, Glory had shut down the American side of their their operation. And they rebranded pretty much everything only in Europe. So I really didn't have any opportunity. And then travel was still kind of funky. Uh, And then Karate Combat started poking into like my Instagram. And I was like, man, what is this? This looks really cool. Like Lyoto Machida, GSP, Bas Rutten, you know? uh, So it was just one of those things where it got me scratching my head. uh, And I just reached out to them and they're like, yeah, if you can get out of your contract with Glory, like let's go. We'd love to have you. Uh, and they were, they were running events in Budapest. So I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So glory was, I was very fortunate. They were cool with, uh, you know, you know, I was, I can only be patient for so long. They're like, yeah, you know, let's, you can go and do your thing. And if we ever get back to where we want to be, you know, we'll call you again. And They released me from my contract and I signed with karate combat. The rest is history.
1: You know, you mentioned COVID I'm, I'm, and it made me sort of curious. Were you, did, were you able to continue training during this period? Uh, it, what did it affect your trajectory in any way? Not you know if you weren't able to. And
0: <laughs> well, as long as the COVID police don't come running after me when I say this, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, on it for me, it really didn't affect my training that much, to be honest. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff I was doing was kind of behind the scenes. I was working at a, uh, a strength and conditioning gym doing physical therapy. I had a key. So when everything was shut down, I went into the gym by myself. I was still doing my workouts. I had everything I needed. Um, You know, I was with the professional team that's up here in the Northeast. There's a lot of guys that are fighting in the UFC. um, And we all share the same management team. A lot of us share the same striking coach. So, you know, we were able to say, hey, listen, let's, we're all going to get tested on a regular basis. Um, we also, some of the, like the guys in the UFC still had fights going on because Dana White was still pushing the UFC was the first pro sport to continue during COVID. So those guys were staying active. So we were just organizing, you know, very controlled environment training where we can still get our work in. And, um, you know, I helped a lot of those guys, you know, get prepared for some of their big fights. And then my opportunity came. So uh, honestly, I was very, very fortunate where it did not affect me.
1: I'd say almost at all. Uh, That's but really yeah, the, great to hear. That's really. But a great lot of people, hear.
0: but a lot of people did. <laughs> you know, I was. Yeah, I was no, I.
1: Ones. You know, we were lucky too at, at the at the bakery. We were very lucky. We never had to shut down or anything. Um, and I, you know, I had a, a woman, uh, Melissa Wagner, on the podcast recently who was a uh, uh, owned a hair salon in California, and she was, oh, you know, affected. Crushed. Um, yeah, she was she was crushed, um, by it, and so it's really great to hear that, and uh, especially with, you know, the whole. The whole gym issue was always very baffling to me because, you, you know, you're talking about people who were trying to stay healthy and, you know, it's like from a very surface level, like I kind of get maybe where people got the idea that maybe these weren't good places for people to be or whatever, but... Uh, I think in retrospect, uh, you know, more than anything, especially, it it just seemed uh, like not the best decision to close these places down. Um, And, you know, I'm I'm glad you were able to continue your training because, like you said, that consistency, um, you know, I can't imagine how hard it might have been for you to get back in the saddle if you weren't able to train. Right.
0: Well and and I was also very fortunate that I had a full-time job that I was able to do remote you know we transitioned to telehealth and then I was actually still treating some clients as you know we only went telehealth for maybe a month or two and then they allowed one-on-one sessions uh, with physical therapists, as long as you know you were mar- wearing a mask and you know vaccination and stuff like that, so we were still fortunate where we were able to stay open. I was still treating, so you know I was still getting my my paycheck. Um, I was able to do some some telehealth, you know, and keep people healthy and continue to do my job and serve the community. Uh, so you know, I really I wasn't hurting that much financially during COVID, but I do know a lot of people, a lot of my close friends that were. Professional fighters, their only source of income was competition, and that right, was right. done. You know, and these guys are, are people that have, were you know pro fighters since the time they were eighteen. They didn't have skills. A lot of them had to give up martial arts altogether and you know find a trade, find a new job, and you know support themselves and their families. It really, really sad what COVID did to a lot of people.
1: It's hard. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine what that must have. been. I can't imagine like if our place was shut down and I couldn't, you know, um, you know, and, and after like we had the we had a big fire um, back in 2007 um, and the place was was shut down because it was gone, you know, for a good eight months. Um, and that was brutal. That was a brutal time period. Just not to be able to go in every day and just not have that routine. Uh, it's it's a really tough thing to overcome um, and to get back into it. um. So when you you join, you come into an organization like Karate Combat. Um, How, so how does it work in terms of the fights that you're given? Um, Like, do do they put you right into uh, a a title bout? Do you have to kind of work your way up? How are those kind of decisions made?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, like any league, you, you really don't go straight to a title. I think my scenario was a little different than most, you know, Karate combat started. I want to say they're in their fifth year now. I want 2018 was their inception. Um, and they did a couple live shows and then obviously COVID hit. So they went to a different, uh, marketing style where they were doing closed shows. They were pre-recording these events and releasing them in seasons, uh, behind a green screen so that was the initial wave of like when karate combat actually got pretty popular because they were able to have these closed off you know secure areas during covid where you know the athletes the staff were all kind of in their little bubble um and then they were pre-recording like massive events behind the scenes and then releasing them to the audience for free so you know people were seeing this on youtube on instagram on facebook and it was totally free on twitter You know, uh, so that's where they really gained their popularity because they were just doing things so differently with these virtual backgrounds, the Unreal Engine. Like, it's super cool. If you've never seen it, like, go watch, go to YouTube, Karate, you know, Karate Combat on YouTube, and you'll see all the crazy stuff they were doing a couple of years ago. Uh, Now they're finally back to live shows. So, where I was getting at was at the time when they were really trying to build their roster, a majority of the competitors were uh, based in Europe. They had, they had a European contingency. Um, they had some like West Asia and then they actually, for whatever reason, they had a ton of Brazilians, um, but not a lot of English speakers. So they had a ton of really talented individuals, but it was super hard to market because nobody spoke English, you know? So they were really hurting for a, a, a powerful, like you know, someone that was number one, talented above anything else, um, but also spoke well, you know, was, uh, and I'm not like touting myself, but like good looking, like marketable, right? Like you had to be marketable. And I think I, I think I just fit a lot of the, I checked a lot of boxes for them where I had a lot of skill, you know, compared to the people that were on the roster at the time. Um, You know, they saw potential and like, holy shit, this could be a guy that we you know, we strap karate combat to his back and just let it take off. And, you know, that's really what they did. You know, they, they brought me in, I had a a big following behind me, you know, in the martial arts community and uh, they rode with that, you know, straight to the top. So I think I got my title shot faster than most would and probably faster than, than I should have. But I think at the time it was necessary for karate combat to, to get behind me and show like, Hey, we have this American superstar. So when COVID was done, And they went back to live shows. The very first live show that they had back on U.S. soil was in Orlando uh, last summer. And I headlined that card to fight for the world championship and won. You know, so it was just a really cool moment for uh, American martial artists and combat athletes to see. We've got this guy who was fighting at the highest level in glory kickboxing. COVID shut that down he didn't miss a beat and now he's here winning a world title for karate combat so it was just something that that was like the set the the takeoff point and from there you know i've had another fight defended my title once and uh we're just going to keep the ball rolling and now there's this massive influx of you know american competition
1: so i love it so i don't you know full disclosure here i don't watch a ton of of uh competitive fighting i don't watch a ton of competitive sports in general. And then, you know, I got with, with two kids and all the stuff I'm doing, it's tough. Right. But I will say I watched both of your fights. I watched the, uh, the first one versus, uh, I was against uh, was it Shaheen Adamov, I think is how you pronounce his yep. name. Uh, Correct. He was the champion. And like you said, that was last year. Um, it's, uh, it's actually, it's almost coming up on a full year. Is it right? That's it was- right.
0: Almost. Yeah. June, June 25th of, okay. uh,
1: of last year was my first title. So, 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 you know, Ross, you've, you've kind of gotten me into being excited about competitive, uh, fighting to be honest with you, man. And, uh, and I, I loved it. I loved the fight. Um, what was, talk about that a little bit, just that fight. What was the main challenge in, in defeating, uh, Adam off? Like what, what were the things you were trying to overcome and what were the things, what was your strategy going into that fight?
0: Gosh, well, I, I can start with the the main thing that we noticed right off the bat, and it's funny because, again, I was telling you before, like I don't go into anything half-ass. Like I, I'm going for it. I'm gonna do be the best at it. I'm gonna be a champion, and I'm gonna be the the high the cream of the crop. So when we first entered the league, even before I had my first fight, we knew which weight class I was gonna be fighting in, and I started looking at all. You know, my coach and I, uh, my coaches started looking at everyone on the roster. And Shaheen was actually the guy that we highlighted, like he's going to give us the most trouble, mainly because of his grappling experience. You know, he, um, he had really good grappling. So right away, even though we knew at the time, you know, he had much more experience in karate combat, we weren't going to line up right away. But before I even had my first fight, I started working with a judo black belt and just preparing, 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 you know, months and months before I even fought this gentleman. Um, so I think the, the biggest hurdle was neutralizing the grappling. We knew that I didn't have to be better at him than that. I just had to stop him from doing what he did best. And if I could eliminate his best weapon, he would make mistakes and I'd be able to take advantage of that. Um, so that was hurdle number one, which we conquered pretty easily. You know, it's just, that's just practice and reps. Um, so that wasn't the issue. The big issue that not a lot of people know of is I went into that fight more injured than I think I've ever been in my life. in preparation, my first week of sparring, uh, I got kicked in my leg and had an MCL injury. So the ligament on the inside of my knee had a really bad sprain. So we shut down all of my sparring. So the only thing I was doing for probably about six weeks, you know, was weightlifting and, and doing drills and focusing on my nutrition. So I'd make weight. Um, as soon as my knee started feeling a little bit better, I got back into a little bit more dynamic work in the gym and uh, I, I hurt my back deadlifting. So it was like, Oh God, like finally, we're, we're just getting back on track. And then I hurt my back. Um, now not knowing the extent of the low back injury, we just kind of took it easy again. And for that fight, I had two sparring sessions over like a 10 week training camp, uh, which is really unusual for me. I'm usually sparring once a week, you know, so having two sessions to go into a world title fight was pretty tough. Uh, the week of the fight, I remember waking up on Wednesday. You know, we weigh in Friday, fight Saturday. I woke up Wednesday in Orlando, and I looked at my coach and I said, "I think I'm going to be okay for this fight." And he's like, "Oh, you think you're going to be okay now on Wednesday?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm actually like <laughs> I'm I'm finally feeling okay." Um, yeah, and it was just a grueling fight. Like he was just so tough, so determined. Um, he was strong. He hit hard. He moved well it was just a battle of attrition. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate to come away with that fight. And, uh, afterwards I remember the next day I was having a hard time walking, not because the fight was so, so damaged. I didn't take a ton of damage that fight, but, um, come to find out I herniated a disc. So I was competing and training with the disc herniation in my back. <laughs> and like, I was just an absolute wreck. Uh, it took me a while to bounce back from that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that first fight was uh was tense. Uh you know, I remember <laughs> watching it um you know, especially compared to the the second one. Um it was pretty tense to watch and you know, when when you're going into a fight like that um with particular injuries, obviously it seems like a no-brainer, you don't want to telegraph this right to your opponent because then they can exploit that injury. Um but you know, it also occurs to me like it, are there like marketing people in uh who would love to make that part of the story and who are like you know do you have to keep this a secret from you know not just your opponent but also the the, the people at karate combat because it's like you know I, I as a marketing person with a marketing brain I can think like oh this is a great story to like sure. get people hooked in um so is it really like okay like maybe a few people know about this and like we got to keep this completely locked down like from anybody else
0: Oh yeah. No, no one knew that this was a thing. You know, I never spoke to karate. It was never a thought in my mind that I wasn't going to compete, you know, and it would have to be I, in my, in all of my years, I have never said I was going to compete and then backed out for any reason. I've always committed to it. I don't think I've ever even turned down a fight. Yeah. I, I've never said no to a fight contract. I've fought people with more experience than me, better records than me. And like, Yeah. It was never a thought in my mind that I was not going to compete. Um, But yeah, you don't want anyone knowing that you're injured. Like that should never be a a topic of conversation because, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like I'm going to step in there no matter what. And that's not going to be a crutch. Like if I would have lost the fight, you know, the, the first things out of my mouth would not have been, Oh, you know, I was injured. It's like, well, then if you're, if you're not prepared to step in there, don't do it. I hate when pro athletes do that. And it's the first thing they, they lean on when they lose right. is that's like a built-in crutch and I'm not for that. If you step in the ring, you're hundred percent healthy, whether you are or not, that's, that's the attitude you have to have. And if you're really not prepared, don't show up, you know, then, then don't do it. Take the time you need, get better and be the best version of yourself because, you know, there's a short window, you know? So for me, it was, it was never even a, a topic of conversation for anybody to know, you know, it's, it's only, it's something that we look back on now and it's like, wow, I can't believe that worked out. <laughs> you know, I'm fortunate that it worked out
1: seriously i mean and and while you're in the midst of the fight right you're in the middle of it um are you conscious in that moment of of the like the fact that there might be things that you do that um might signal to your opponent that there is a particular physical issue you're having and are you like consciously trying to not um give that information away even in the middle of the fight
0: Sure. I mean, now thankfully in this situation, I really didn't have any moments where I felt like some twinges or any resistance. I remember in the fourth round, the very last exchange of the fourth round, I threw a head kick. He caught it and and dumped me. Uh, he slammed me, and I remember thinking like, "That's gonna hurt later," and, but it didn't hurt <laughs> at the moment. It didn't hurt at the moment, and I was right. I by the time I got done with the fight, we walked back to the medical tent. I couldn't put my shoes on. My wife had to put my my socks and shoes on for me. I couldn't bend. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was one of those things where, yeah, you always train, like you never want to show any sign of anything. I'm very like, if you, when you watch me fight and you watch my face and my posture and my body language, it's, it's always ice cold. You know, I don't, I don't show anything. There's no emotion in there until the fight's over. Um, so yeah, I, you'd never want to show anything to your opponent. Cause I don't want them knowing I'm hurt. You know, if I limp, if if my opponent's limping, I'm kicking their leg. There, there's no time for, I feel bad for you. Like these guys got a job to do. And if it were me, they would do it to me. So, you know, there's, there's no remorse in, in this sport. It's a
1: very unforgiving sport. And the other thing I was curious about too, is, is obviously there's a certain mindset you have to get into um, when you're going into this sort of combat scenario. Um, is it, is it? tough to have a sportsman like mentality in a sport where it's it's like this person could seriously injure you um you know um is there a line that between like you know looking at this person like your enemy and also also having like a, a sportsmanship about you um because you see a lot of fighters after the fight you know they they touch gloves and they and they hug and there's a lot of mutual respect there but is that a hard line to, to, to gauge and to make sure you don't go over?
0: Not for me. I mean, I think for a lot of people, it may be tough. But, you know, if, if that's something that is really challenging for you, then maybe competitive combat sports is not your thing. Uh, because there there is no room for you're my friend and I don't want to hurt you in a combat sport where literally the goal. And with karate combat, there are incentives for, you know, TKOs and knockouts. So I get, I get paid more based on how I win. So I make a certain amount to win a decision. I make more money if I land a TKO and I make even more money if I knock the guy out. So it is incentivized for me to hurt somebody. (laughs) So there is no room for me. (laughs) There is no room for me to be like, Oh, this guy's okay. Like I don't want to hurt him. And you know, there's, there's a difference between you know, putting someone away and finishing the fight and then injuring someone. Like I don't want to injure anyone, you know, like all these guys that, you know, they got families and, you know, wives and, you know, stuff like that and jobs and other, you know, other stuff they got to do. Like I never want to injure someone where, you know, they can't do this anymore. They can't go home to their family. They can't, you know, go and do their job. You know what I'm saying? So that's the, that's the sportsman side of it where I want, at the end of the day, we should all be able to continue doing this. Um, But this is a sport and you know, if, if it's not me, it's going to be them. So, you know, it's it's just one of those things you just got to put it aside and you know, you can check on them afterwards.
1: Yeah. So there's never like, has there ever been a moment in a fight where you, you, you had to like held yourself back because you were afraid you might injure somebody? Like, have you ever had to make that choice? No, no, that's good. Probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You can't, you can't, because the, the split second that you take to hesitate and think that's, that's your potentially, I mean, I'm saying this very crudely, but that's your life on the line you know, there are people take
1: advantage of it. Yeah. yeah. To- you've, seen <laughs> right. it,
0: you've seen it time and time right. again, you, there is not a split second where it's so funny too. Like in that same token, people are like, Oh, you know, did you hear me? I was in the crowd. I was screaming for you. And I was like, I don't see anything. I hear my coach and the referee. That's it. Everything around me is black. I'm laser focused. And, and if you're zone. not, and if you're not, you're in big, big, big trouble. <laughs> like it's a combat sport. You have no time for that.
1: Well, a lot of a lot of top athletes talk about this, uh, this ability, especially the great ones, uh, the ones who become champions, their ability to literally tune out everything that's going on around them. You know, and this goes this goes for, you know, people like Tom Brady who play in front of seventy five thousand people. They don't even hear um, the crowd. They're just so in the zone and they have to be in um, speaking of knockouts, um, the second fight with Castaneda. um, Was that first, the first question I have is, is, is going into a fight as the defending champion different in terms of your mentality? Um, and as it is, you know, in terms of, as opposed to being the challenger,
0: I think my mentality is very different than most. And I think my mentality is why I'm so successful. I don't, I don't approach it the way many other people approach it. Um, so I'll give you both sides. Most people, and even from the from the consumer perspective, is like he's defending his title. He's the champion. He can't let this guy take what's his. And like that to me, that is no inv- I, That's again not even a conversation. I don't ever feel like I'm the champion. I don't ever act like I'm the champion. I know I am. I know I won in that moment. I know I beat the champion who was there before. So now I'm the guy at the top of the mountain. But I'm always looking to get better from, from fight to fight, I'm always trying to improve. Like there is no peak of the mountain. Once you get to the peak, there's a new mountain that you better find, because if you don't, you're going to get overrun really quick. So, you know, the whole attitude, and this is something that we were very adamant about during this fight is a lot of times in, and this got popularized in the UFC, you know, when you're a champion, you, you fight a title fight. They, uh, at the end of the day, when they announce who the winner is, they either say, and new or, and still, Right. It's like, and new champion or, and still champion. So, you know, we weren't looking to say like, and still, we were saying, and two. So like the number two. So, because for me, it was like, this is not, I'm not, as soon as they say, enter the pit, I'm no longer the champion. I have to attack. I have to be on the offense and I have to go win another world championship. So, you know, the whole fight camp was focused on me just leveling up and getting better and better. (laughs) Um, you know, and just having a new version of myself so that I'm so far ahead of everybody, you know? So for me, it was all about N2 and the next one will be N3. You know, I'm just constantly trying to get better. And and if I'm, if I'm getting better, they'll never catch up. So that's not, I, I would say that is not a typical mentality, but it is my mentality.
1: Well, I think it's brilliant. I think it's, it's sort of like you're going into the fight and it's like the second uh, you take that belt off uh, and you get ready to fight. It's like you're both competing for a vacant title in 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 a sense and it's and you're like right this is this is championship number two and then when i do it again that's championship number three i think it's brilliant i think it's brilliant i can imagine that how that mentality can really help somebody in a situation like that and not get too much in their head about you know who's the champion, who's not the champion. And, and Yeah. And
0: yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. It's not easy. Like that's not an easy thing to do because you know, your ego will kill you. Right. right. Like they, they say your ego is like water. You need it to live, but too much will drown you. Right. So like your <laughs> right. ego, your ego will tell you, you're the champ. Take it easy. Like you got this, you're the man and you have to have your support system behind you being like, you're nothing like you better keep training. Like you need to get better. You need to do more, you know? So I think that's the mentality and it's funny because you see people all the time, Um, you know, perfect example, uh, Israel Adesanya, uh, the UFC middleweight champion, you know, he came from glory kickboxing as well, made like destroyed. Everyone had an amazing run, won the title, you know, had a couple knockouts. And then it was like, he won a decision, won a decision. And granted he's fighting higher level guys, but you could tell he didn't have that killer mentality. Then he loses, right? He gets knocked out by Alex Pereira and his next fight. He wants that title fight back. He comes out, knocks out Alex Pereira. Now you may say he had more to fight for and maybe his mentality was different. Maybe his mentality, maybe he got a little bit lax when he was the champion for so long. Maybe he felt like he was untouchable. I don't believe that. I think his coaches really know how to keep him moving. But then his first fight back, he comes back and he went from winning decisions to knocking out the guy that knocked him out. That's pretty damn impressive. So you could, it shows you what that mindset shift
1: can do for you. You know? The um, the knockout against Castaneda. What? It's, it just describe that moment. Like, what did you see in that moment? That that did you see some, a weakness? Did you spot something? You You're like, okay, this is this is my moment, kind of thing. Where you're like, okay, I can attack right here. This is what I've been waiting for.
0: Yeah. So he's, uh, Igor de Castaneda is uh, incredibly explosive, very powerful. He's got dynamite in his hands. We knew that his only shot at beating me, you know, we thought skill for skill, we were, we were superior because I'd fought him before. It was actually a rematch. Uh, and I beat him the first time around as well. Uh, so knowing that he was going to make some improvements, we knew that the only way he was going to beat me is if I stood in front of him and he knocked me out. So the first couple rounds, our strategy was let's just drain the gas tank a little bit. Let's take some zip off those punches, you know, let him slow down, let him tire himself out. And then, you know, when we saw him start to slow, that was our time to ramp it up. And, um, going back and watching that fight, you can see the third round. There is a huge shift in my pace. Um, you know, the first two rounds, I was cautious, a lot of feints, just trying to draw out some attacks. He probably threw more techniques than I did the first two rounds. Um, I was just a little bit more sharp, a little more accurate, more of a sharpshooter. And then the third round, it's like, even the announcers, the, the commentators noted it like, Ooh, he looks a little different. He's on his toes more. He's a little more active. And, you know, we realized we hurt him to the body. And, uh, you can see at one point, you know, I'm against the pit wall, uh, throwing body shots and my coaches are like waving, like, come on, come on, keep going, pressure, pressure. And, uh, that's where we found the finish. It it wasn't anything in particular that I was looking for. I didn't know that I was going to land that shot. Uh, it was just, I was kind of in the zone and I threw it and it landed. It was just kind of picture perfect.
1: One thing I've noticed um, in 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 both the fights that I've watched you in, and um, of course I'm no expert, but I know what I I think. I know sometimes what I see, and it's something that Bas Rutten actually mentioned on Joe Rogan about you and your fighting is your ability to always be in control and to always have balance. You're always very balanced, and you're always in control. Um, How how do you avoid um, getting thrown off balance and staying in control in a situation where it seems like it'd be very easy in just a split second to lose that sense of control.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just my style of uh, you know, being comfortable in those uncomfortable situations. And I also know that the style of the pit is also really hard to fight when you're on your back foot. So, you know, my strategy is is just to make you uncomfortable and make you tense and and burn energy for no reason. Uh so yeah it's it's just uh, a testament to my training and my coaching staff and you know they prepare me for moments like that where I can just stay focused and uh and apply pressure without being in you know severe danger you know
1: One little detail uh that I've noticed about karate combat is the actual pit and it has these sort of slanted edges um is that typical or is that something that's very unique to karate combat
0: It is completely unique to karate combat. There is no other professional fight organization on the planet that does what karate combat does. And and it's what makes it so different. And it's why you see some people that are super high level competitors in other arenas come to karate combat and they're not as successful because it is so different. Um, So, yeah, it's it is unique and it's it's its own animal. You know, do, it's you, not what, like, do you
1: like it, or do you, or do you find it sort of difficult to to contend with those those slanted uh, edges all around the 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 fighting pit? It's super difficult. Um,
0: I do like it, and I, I I think the reason why I like it is because it it's the ultimate leveling of the playing field. Because unless you build one, which I think there's only one person in the world that built a pit, uh, and that's the, the the current welterweight champion actually. So maybe there's something to it. Um, <laughs> you know, the only time you get to experience that and actually feel what it feels like is when you're in there competing. So I think it's really cool that it's the ultimate playing field leveler, you know, but there's, there's a access to, you can go to any gym in the world, you know, that trains mixed martial arts or boxing or kickboxing, and you can, you can have access to a boxing ring or, uh, or a cage, you know, but you can't find the pit. So it's just one of those things where the more experience experience really plays a big factor here. And not just like how many fights do you have overall, but how many fights do you have in the pit? It plays a huge difference. And you see the guys that come in as as their debut and they're tentative. Um, And it's because things just feel weird in there. It's different. The range is different. The control is different. You you just got to be in there and do it.
1: One other really cool aspect of karate combat that that I know about and I was talking to you about just before we we started recording is um, that there's a cryptocurrency uh, along with uh, karate combat where fans can actually um, sort of control to a certain extent um the 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 viability of the company it's it's sort i mean i I, again i'm not going to get into financial lingo here but it feels sort of like owning stock in something um and so I, i have a lot of cryptocurrency people who listen to this podcast and so if you know I'll just say if you're if you're interested, check it out. Go to the Karate Combat uh Twitter page. Um, they've got some really great info there about the karate token. It's something that's really interesting. I know you can gamble with it too on the fights. It's a really cool aspect of it. So I just wanted to really I wanted I just wanted to let people know about that before I get to sort of my last question, which is what's on the horizon, Ross? Do you have another fight scheduled? Nothing
0: scheduled yet. Uh, you know, I think the, uh, like I said, the division needs to build a little bit more. Uh, I alluded to that at the end of my last fight, but you know, my, my goals are potentially to even move up to the next weight class and, uh, you know, challenge myself in that way to, you know, build a bigger, stronger body and fight bigger, stronger guys, uh, in the 205 pound weight class of so the heavyweight division in karate combat. Um, you know, but I'm also dabbling in a couple other areas. Like at the last event I was present and, uh, I was part of the pre-show analysis. So I'd love to do a little bit more breakdowns, you know, as I get older and more experienced, I want to have other outlets to kind of talk about the sport that I love so much. Um, Yeah. And so there's no fight booked for me at the moment, but we're hoping by the end of the summer, I'll have something on the docket where I can, you know, get back into training camp and well, not that I'm ever not in training camp, but have a more focused, like goal oriented training. Uh, And then, yeah, you know, as far as the crypto goes, it's, it's incredible what they're starting to do with the karate token. Uh, It is powered by the Hedera network. Uh, so for the crypto people listening, it is something called up only gaming where, you know, you can go online and you download the karate app and you can vote on a couple different things. So at the most basic level, you can, you know, purchase coins and then use those coins to vote on who you think is going to win each fight. If you win, you get more tokens. Also, if you let's say I'm fighting and you bet on me and I win. I get a percentage of the tokens as a bonus. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's so cool. so the fighters have it. There's, there's incentive for the fighters to build their market base and, and be, be exciting so that more people vote on me. Because if you vote, you know, if I get a ton of coins voted on me and I win, I get a percentage of those winnings. Now, the cool thing about that is when you vote, it's called up-only gaming. So you actually can't lose tokens. So if you have 10,000 tokens and you vote on, you know my next opponent, and he loses, which he will. Um, you mm-hmm. actually don't. You actually don't lose tokens. You get them back. Um, Sounds kind of like a win-win. It is a win-win. <laughs> it, it is a win-win. So yeah, I love gambling
1: where you can't lose. I mean that's not,
0: and that's why they're they're not really calling it gambling. It's it's right. interesting. Um, you know, it's just that 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 gaming style. Um, but there is going to be a cap on the tokens. So you know, right now they're right. still available for purchase, but there is going to be a market cap. Now, the other cool thing about it is. The token is available and it's going to be used for other areas where fans can make changes in the league. So there will be votes on rules that are going to be added or taken away. So I think one of the next big things is right now in karate combat, you cannot kick the thigh. You can only kick the calf, which is contradictory to a lot of combat sports. Um, So I think that's something that the, the fans will be able to vote on whether you want that in or not. So you can use your coins to vote on that you can use your coins to to vote on matchups. So potentially my next matchup is something that the fans are going to determine. So it's really really cool. Um yeah, just just super cool stuff that that's just going to grow and and just again, stay focused on like karate combat on Twitter. They've been doing they've been really active in the Twitter spaces and karate.com. And you'll get all the info there.
1: Ross, thank you so much for taking the time out of your, your your very busy schedule to talk to me about all this stuff. I, I think you're a really interesting guy in so many ways, just even way, well beyond your uh, accomplishments um, in in the world of combat sports. I mean, you're you're, um, you're you know you being a licensed physical therapist and doing all the coaching and all the stuff that you do. Um, you've really accomplished so much, and I think I think a lot of uh, younger people can really learn from that, and so. Um, I think you're, you really are a good role model in all of those sorts of ways. So thanks for coming on the show and, um, best of luck in your next fight, whoever it's against. I certainly feel bad for that guy, whoever it's going to be. I'll definitely be watching and, um, I hope to talk to you soon.
0: Oh, thank you so much again for number one, your support and number two, the, the awesome platform to, to be on your podcast and and talk about the things that I love so much too the masses so i appreciate it i hope to see you soon hey maybe maybe one day i'll get famous enough where i get a pizza looking like me
1: right on man for sure you know i'm, <laughs> writing, I'm writing it down I'm there we go it down. let's do it let's do <laughs> it right, man all right, all right I'll man. Talk have to a you. great rest of your day bye-bye this is the just listening podcast i gotta go go where I mean, we just got
0: it. i got that thing i gotta
1: go with pizza artist eric john uh, wait a couple of minutes
0: we'll all leave together okay this way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time